Hi, welcome to Sonic Serial. I'm Joan of Arc. And I'm Coco Chanel. No. Oh. <laughs> Who are you? I'm Bridget Bardot. Alright, <laughs> that's Jesse and I'm Mark. And this is episode 14. No, we're not really going, are we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, whatever. Uh, yeah, it's episode 14. And in this podcast, we take a deep dive into albums from some of our favorite artists, track by track. And today, we are doing something different by discussing a soundtrack. And that was my idea. Yes. So, today we're talking about the soundtrack, Marie Antoinette, or is it Marie Antoinette? Marie Antoinette, the original motion picture soundtrack which is produced by Brian Reitzel, who we talked about before on our air podcast, so it's all connected. And it was released in 2006. And what tracks are we doing today? We're doing Hong Kong Garden, Aphrodisiac, Whatever Happened, and Pulling Our Weight. All right, let's give us an intro to um, Marie Antoinette, the film. Yes, it's this is Sofia Coppola's <sighs> It's her third film which came after the um her first two Virgin Suicides in two thousand and Lost in Translation in two thousand three. So um although the film is set in eighteenth century France, the music consists of indie punk new wave music from the 80s and beyond. Sofia Coppola said that she, um, that over time people realized that it was her um, like vision for the movie to capture Marie Antoinette as the teenager that she was and not the like politicized sort of right. like historical figure that to she became. To humanize her. Well, they just treated her like this, like the, you know, the Queen of France who was a political figure and caused all this stuff, but Sofia Coppola wanted to portray her as the teenager Mm. that she was yeah and I also thought that she just wanted the 80s music because that's what she was listening to when she was Marie Antoinette's age oh right yeah that makes sense um so the real Maria Antonia Josefa Johanna van Austerich Lothringen um, (laughs) knee prior to marriage Jesus de la Cruz the third (laughs) Um, she was the Taylor Swift of her time when she made um, her first appearance in the French capital. Um, about 50,000 Parisians lost their fucking minds. Um, and at least 30 people were trampled to death, like trying to see her. Wow. So, auspicious beginnings. And then they tried to kill her. <laughs> they didn't try. Spoiler alert. <laughs> they did. <laughs> She's not with us anymore. Uh, 200 years. Yeah. Wow. Uh, all right. And tell us more about Brian Reitzel. Well, so yeah, she collaborated with Brian Reitzel as a... Reitzel. Reitzel. (laughs) As a music supervisor. And, um... But she'd worked with him before. Yeah, she worked with him on The Virgin Suicides and... Lost pretty much yeah, yeah all her films at the moment yeah. Yeah. yeah um so I read that it, that the soundtrack was uh, like put together from a bunch of mi- mixtapes that um, Brian Wrightsoul gave to Sofia Coppola and she wrote the entire script while listening to about forty songs that were on two mixtapes and they were dubbed to Versailles one and Versailles mix two that's cool Versailles I'd like mix to hear them yeah. Even though she didn't pick many songs from the mixtapes, I guess that that new romantic. She was like, <laughs> "That's nice, but I'm gonna <laughs> do what I well, want." She's the director. Um, and how did he meet Sofia Coppola? He actually met her while he was in the band Red Cross. Do you know of them? No. Okay. And they spelled their cross with a K, like crisscross. Yeah. Remember them? Yeah. And she was uh, dating one of the members of the band, so they all got to know each other. 
So, and then he ended up being the music supervisor for Virgin Suicides, as well as the drummer for the film score, which he recorded with Air. And he also worked on their second album that we just talked about, 10,000 Hertz Legend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> From an article in Vogue. Wait. Um, they said they even. Oh, go on. <laughs> and then, yeah, we also had to talk about Roger Neal, who was working as a um, historical music consultant. All right. Yeah. Um, and we talked about him too on our previous podcast Virginia. recently because he was the one who arranged the strings, the choir, and uh, for Air's 10,000 Hertz legend. Indeed. Mm. Now are you done? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, from a Vogue article, they say, released 17 years ago, Marie Antoinette still feels like something of a revelation and is regarded as a cultural touchstone for so many filmmakers and designers that it's easy to forget just how polarizing it was on release. Yeah, and I think it's been quite influential over the years. Because, yeah. like, when you watch shows like Bridgerton or The Great and you see how they use modern music when these shows are set in, yeah. like, royal... What do you call it? Pomp and circumstance. <clears throat> That's it. <laughs> You got it. Sis. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but yeah, that, what was that? What was the. Did that come out? But that came out after the Romeo and Juliet that used like modern. Yes, yes. So. So people I, shouldn't have been that shocked. I feel like that's the only place I've seen like this yeah. type of movie. Which is weird because the other way around, there's a lot of classical music in modern movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Think of any modern movie, like any romantic movie. Oh, yeah, like yeah, They yeah. all have classical music in it. Yeah. So what's the big deal to have modern music in a, in a yeah. old film? Like, where's the, where's the authenticity police then? <laughs> all right. Um... So Brian Rattel in an interview said, we invented our own way of making a soundtrack when we did The Virgin Suicides because we didn't have any money, but we had expensive taste. I got in touch with every artist that we wanted on the soundtrack and I either showed them the movie or got Sophia to write them a letter. Lost in translation to open doors for us because artists understood we were going to use music in a cool way. Um, and then he says, Sophia and I really owe the musicians of Marie Antoinette a lot. Uh, for playing ball with us. Robert Smith from The Cure uh, wrote to his label so that both Cure songs could be used on the soundtrack for reduced royalties. He says everyone took less money than they should have because they wanted to be in the film. That's cool. Yeah. It's like a collective... <clears throat> well, I think they, they knew that they had something unique and special. Yeah. Um, and they're, you know, they're not like... Looking for a cash grab or something. Yeah. Well, it wasn't like somebody was doing a movie about, you know, the the 80s and then wanted a Cure song to put in it for free. Yeah. Fuck that. Just like the Barbie soundtrack. Everyone wanted to be on it. <laughs> All right. Let's talk Do about... Do you feel like these movies are similar? Though? No. Oh. Let's talk it's about... It's a lot of pink. Okay. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Um, I could say something about was she the Barbie of her time, but she actually wasn't, I mean, she was accomplished, but she wasn't like an astronaut and a lawyer and a, like she didn't aspire to be like all these things. But her head was removable. <clears throat> Why don't you give us an overview of track one, Hong Kong Garden by Susie and the Banshees. This is the band's first single ever, and it was released in 1978. And it was actually based on an instrumental from guitarist John McKay, which he originally called People Phobia. I like that title better. 
Yeah. Although and Hong Kong Garden, it, it does have kind of this, like, exotic sound. Well, also, it, so. like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like, when we talk about the song's lyrics and their meaning, you'll you'll see, like, people phobia and racism yeah. connection. So... <clears throat> Stay tuned. Um... The single cover features a black and white photo of a woman with a sheet wrapped over her face. Is it Susie Sue? I don't know. I couldn't find any information on it. I'm sure one click and I'll find out. (laughs) Be my guest. Um, This song is considered one of the first post-punk hits. Um, and led the path for bands like The Smiths, Joy Division, and The Cure, which we'll talk about in another episode. Yeah. Um, did you listen to the Susie and the Band? I did. This was... I mean, I was a little young, but yeah, I did. I'm of that era. And um, <clears throat> do you remember when you first heard this song? Yeah. Like, that time? Cool. Like, 86? Yeah. Yeah. It was all... You either listen to that or you listen to, like, um, Heart. Oh, yeah, my mom. And Aha. Stuff like that. So... And luckily I met cool people in high school. That's good. That... that Exposed like, you to this type of music. Yeah. You know, we, we all sort of collectively, like, figured shit out that's nice okay what about production well (laughs) (laughs) so actually in July of 1978 they recorded with American producer Bruce Albertine but they were unhappy with the results so they enlisted engineer Steve Lillywhite and so they ended up recording the song in two days, and it was Lily White's first hit as a producer. And did you know that he recorded the drums separately? So, like, one recording was just the kick, and one was the snare. But that's how I do things. That is how you <laughs> make music, indeed. Uh. <laughs> Regarding that, there was an interview with um, Stephen Lily White, which we saw today. <laughs> yeah. Um, where, yeah, he says he wanted the sound to, it to sound really big and bright, which is why he separated the, the instruments, and that that sound became like a post-punk signature sound for a lot of different artists. So, hmm. cool. Cool. Um, and then they use a xylophone. Yes, for the instrumental break. Wait, is that the opening that's like dum 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 dum? Mm-hmm. dum, dum, dum. It's that catchy yeah. hook or whatever. That's the xylophone. I'm telling you. But the version on the soundtrack is um, a little different. It includes a snappy. <laughs> Orchestral classical. I was going to write sassy, but... (laughs) Why? Okay. A sassy orchestral classical intro. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It also has strings and harpsichord um, by Roger Neal. which it, it, that right away reminds me of the down dating and updating that Basil Ehrman said he did in Romeo and Juliet. I'm not sure if <laughs> down dating is a real word, but well, whether it is or not, <laughs> um, uh, in an interview, um, Roger Neal said, um, "I wanted it to be a marked contrast to the song itself." I took the harmonic harmonic elements of Hong Kong Garden and arranged it in an orchestral 
mode that's very dainty and lightweight and more of the era of Marie Antoinette. We wanted the song to be a sort of cheat as Marie and her friends are scurrying to the ball. Uh, because at first it sounds like the music you'd expect from an 18th century drama until it doesn't. What is what's going on over there? I'm sorry. That's, yeah, until it doesn't. <laughs> but, so whether it's called updating and downdating, what um, Roger Neal is saying is that he sort of made it more orchestral sounding for the movie. Yeah. And he made it more dainty and feminine. So he's... That's kind of downdating. Yeah. He's sort of trying to make it sound like more of their... Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I like when... Like Westworld. Yeah. That's a I show that does a lot of that. They used to. R.I.P. Westworld. <clears throat> yeah. You were downdating when you met me, right? <laughs> I, wait, let me think about that. Don't. Okay. <clears throat> oh, Yeah. Wait, no. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, how is it used in the film, Jesse? Uh, the song appears when Marie Antoinette and her friends go to a masked ball and party hardy. So that's it. It's just yeah. like, it's probably one of the more energetic songs on the album. So I could see why they wanted it for the ball scene. Huzzah. Yeah. Ball ball scene. Um, all right, that's also the scene that she meets Jamie Dornan, um, who she may or may not actually had an affair with, but she did in the movie. Not with him, but with the, the person that Jamie Dornan plays. Yeah. Unless he's a vampire. Fifty Shades. Was he Fifty Shades? Yeah, I think... Okay. I just know him from Barb and Salty's thing. Or what do you call it? <laughs> Barb and Salty. Barb and Star. Um, yeah. What about live performances? We're going to nip that in the bud right there, whatever you're about to say. <laughs> uh, the last live performance was uh, in uh, March of 2023, and it was in Spain. <clears throat> Yeah, so I guess this is a song they perform a lot, which makes sense because it was their first single. Yeah. <clears throat> but they're still out there kicking it. Yeah, that's awesome. There's, yeah. yeah. You can still, there's still time. <laughs> there's still time. <laughs> no matter how far behind you yeah. think you are, there's still time. Until there isn't. <laughs> All right, uh, what about the song meaning? It was actually named after a Chinese takeout restaurant in Chislehurst. So the lead singer, Suzy Su, said the song was inspired by being upset over skinheads coming into the restaurant and harassing people. That's kind of dark. Yeah. For such a like happy, boppy break. Yeah, you think family. she'd be like, going out with my friends tonight. <laughs> Oh, that's what the lyrics should be. <laughs> yeah. Gonna eat lots of chicken. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> um, why don't but, we hear the real lyrics instead of yours? See, I don't even want to say it. <laughs> that's what I thought you were going to say. Slanted eyes meet a new sunrise, a race of bodies, small in size. Chicken chow mein and chop suey, Hong Kong garden takeaway. It's like, when she talks about the meaning, it's sympathizing with these people, but then you know, it's like... <laughs> these people? <laughs> oh, man. I didn't think this would be like a hot button episode. Weird. Um, <laughs> so like today, this song would definitely get canceled. Yeah. I think you know, so. and it's just. But it's, back then, it was it, I, people. It's like people probably were like, "Oh, you're 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 you know, like 
Like it's, it reminds me of this woman throwing a party for Asians because she's just like, "You guys are great. You guys should come over to my house." And then she does this like, and she's it's like. Wait, what are you doing? <laughs> is this a mute a movie? No, it's just some in, woman inviting a bunch of people. Or it's Asians in bad over. taste, you know. Like, you know how what was she gonna do to them when they came <laughs> over? Well, you know, like when a certain minority, like. Is in there. And why would you just go on Twitter and do it? Like, to invite them over? And then they're standing there after you insult them? So, like, when people are like, Oh, <laughs> everyone's attacking you. And, like, so mm. I'm gonna, I'm an ally. I'm going to be your friend. And then it gets to the point where it's, like, over-annoying. And you have, like, ra- rainbow flags all over your house or whatever. And so I feel like she's... Doing it without maybe knowing that it might be in bad taste. I have an, I have a, a sense that what you just said would have been problematic. <laughs> I'm quite not sure. I'm going to have to listen to it. Oh, no. All right. As far as remixes and covers, um, uh, one of the first versions that they recorded including included playing a pic- pixie phone. Um, which is basically a toy glockenspiel. Oh, we have one. We do. I forgot. Go get I'm it. I'm not going to. Oh, you're going to fall <laughs> if you get up? Okay. It's not worth it. Um, in 2010, Ufi, uh, uh, otherwise known as... Uffy. Uffy. Oh, fuck. Otherwise known as Anna Catherine Hartley... Um, covered the song with producer Marwise for her debut album, Sex Dreams and Denim Jeans. Um, and she spent her childhood in Hong Kong. Yeah. Although that'd be a better album title. Sex Dreams and Denim Jeans, she spent her childhood <laughs> in Hong Kong. <laughs> That's like the in parentheses. Or... Um, but yes, that was her debut album, and I guess, separate from that, as a child, that should have its own bullet point. It's like, that's a separate thought. But anyway, she spent her childhood in Hong Kong. Yeah. All right, let's talk about uh, track, she's rolling on track two, Aphrodisiac by Bow Wow Wow. Well, this song comes from the band's second and final album, When the Going Gets Tough, The Tough Gets Going, which was released in 1983, and it is the opening track. And I feel like there's a lot of parallels between Marie Antoinette and Bow Wow Wow's lead singer, Annabella Lewin, who, um, like, how she became famous at the age of 14, and they were both had kind of a rebellious, punkish streak to them, would you say? Yeah, but I read that Sofia Coppola would Xerox <laughs> photographs, with Xerox photographs of artists that she liked, um, or fashion photography that caught her imagination as inspiration while she was um, making the film. And one of the photos, or actually while she was kind of developing the film, one of the photos was um, a Bow Wow Wow... Uh, the cover for their EP, The Last of the Mohicans. Um, and it's them, the band, recreate. Will you stop that? <laughs> Recreating a Monet, um, not Monet, a painting, Le Dejeuner sous l'herbe. L'herbe? L'herbe? Herb? It's spelled L Herb. <laughs> um, and how that whole new romantic kind of sensibility was um, really like the spirit of the film from the beginning. Um, and it, even if it wasn't there musically, she visu- visually also already had kind of started thinking in that direction. In fact, I read, I think in the Vogue article, that John Galliano, um, like, inspired her from a fashion. So she was like, and he really liked that music. Because mm. remember he did those, like, 
all of those like Indian Native American headdress yeah the kind of things <clears throat> yeah that's cool yeah that well, was a lot in the movie oh and there's a picture <laughs> that we're both looking at that's a recreation so check it out it's um, Bow Wow Wow's Last of the Mohicans EP um, and then you'll know what we're talking about go on how is it used in the film The song comes on at the ball that we were just talking about, the mass ball. Yeah. Um, while Mar Marie Antoinette flirts with the Swedish soldier who she ends up having an affair with. Which is Jamie Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot to mention that um, Hamish Bowles, who's the uh, editor-in-large for Vogue, um, said in in respect to the film, <clears throat> the new romantic movement emerged from the punk movement. So they both came from a place of extreme <clears throat> iconoclasm. Uh, but whereas punk was anarchic and about breaking down barriers of acceptable new romanticism. <laughs> All right, I think I'm done. <laughs> Go on, how's it using the film? I just told you Okay, what about production? <laughs> By the way, check out the Vogue article. Unfortunately, I don't have it in front of me, but just, you know, look up Vogue and um, Marie Antoinette by Sofia Coppola. It kinda, it's a really good article. Yeah. It, it, the song, it kind of sounds swing dancey. Are we still on this? <laughs> yeah, we're still talking about the song. So, um... <laughs> I don't, and I feel like the drumming sounds trifle, which I think emphasizes the uninhibited nature of the song. I think laughing at tribal is kind of racist. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Okay. <clears throat> Do you want to go to bed? Uh, so basically, this is. I feel like this is, to me, it sounds just like an adamant song, but with Annabella's vocals on top of it. Yeah. Because um, the music is all adamant. Like, I, adamant was somebody else that I listened to a lot. Um, and I saw him in London. Um, mm. well, well, I guess we'll talk about him later. But there are some live performances. Tell us about them. Well, we saw one today on YouTube. Yep. It's a, I was surprised that her vocals and the band sounded just like the album, um, the single. But then thinking about it, they, they probably couldn't afford or didn't have like a lot of, you know, post-production or effects. Oh, yeah. So it was probably just like they captured it and that was the song. Yeah. So then it would make sense that, that their live performances sound a lot like. Right. Okay. So... And then what was the other one that we saw today? The other the live performance. American Bandstand with Dick yeah. Clark. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of it? Uh, she, oh, yeah. She was wearing... Um, <clears throat> what, because she's a woman? It's about the clothes? <laughs> <laughs> no. How was her performance? Good. I don't. It, it, nothing really stood out to me. Um, I thought it was really cool, like cute. Yeah. Like, like just their interaction. And, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. All right. What about the song meaning? Well, <laughs> I feel like it just seems. Like a, a really sex positive song, like free love type of thing, you know? Yeah. It, I mean, I I didn't put this in here, but I'm just remembering one lyric is like. You think they care if you're reading this or not? <laughs> oh my god. 
if you if you love somebody that wait you're not in if you want to be with somebody you're not in love with at all is that it what do you mean <laughs> is this the lyric to another song yes no just forget it okay oh it's a saying like <laughs> two birds in one hand wait Say that again. <laughs> Say what again? Two ladies walking down the street with purple umbrellas, crisscross. Applesauce. I don't know what you're talking about. <clears throat> okay, it seems like a sex positive free love type of song. Yes, I agree. Uh, the lyrics are. Take an aphrodisiac. No, you have to say the ah, ah, ah. No. Okay. Take an aphrodisiac, but don't do nothing. Just relax. Elephants inside me, please. What? So... <laughs> it, it sounds like some weird... Do you... Is that really the lyrics, or did you... That's really it. Oh, wow. I mean, <clears throat> unless someone's messing with me on, uh, where do I get my lyrics? Genius. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like it's just not that deep. Oh. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, I think it's I just really like literal. It. Like, like take an aphrodisiac, don't do nothing. Like, I don't think it's like inferring something it's i think it's just like yeah i drank some beer and i passed out but then the chorus there's a 1993 remix um from the b-side of the mountain man seven um there's a two-in-one mix uh 2023 mix that combines the original 12 inch and um, the regular song into one track. And so it's like, if you want to fall in love with somebody, somebody that you're not in love with at all, exciting you, it's just all over the place. <laughs> it's not just the song that's I all guess. over the place. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and then you hear the men grunting while she's singing and stuff. It's just very tribal and I know it has sexual undertones. You can't tell me otherwise. This is devil music. All right. Um, as I was saying, the remixes, um, there's three I guess, official ones. There's one from the B-side of the Madden Mountain 7. There's a two-in-one remix, which I like, which is... Um, it combines the original with the 12 inch. So it like remixes those together. That's cool. Which I hadn't heard of before. Or I haven't heard of someone doing that before. Um, and then there's a 12 inch 1983 audio um, video that goes along with that. But I couldn't find that. So. Do you have any trivia that you know of for this song? Um, <clears throat> no, do you? No. Oh. Oh, wait. Yeah, I do have one. I forgot. Um, so they were manufactured by Malcolm McLaren because, um, in 1980 because his wife, Vivian Westwood, um, uh, was making clothes. <laughs> and they wanted to show the clothes on, like, a punk-looking band. And so he basically just, like, pulled them like she was she was just doing backup stuff with Adam Ant and he just pulled her and he put this band together just for fashion shoots and then they ended up being a band can I get something to drink yeah <laughs> you're gonna edit this so <laughs> See, that's it. I shouldn't stop it right no just keep it going alright I'm trying keep it going I don't know what the like what the rules are around talking about things 
like sort of how it was in the era. Like, um, <clears throat> like her saying in that song about slanty eyes. Yeah. Like, back then, that's how they talked about it. So today, you can look back and say, uh, it's a fact that that's what happened. Just like you can say, plantation owners kept slaves and beat them, right? You're not agreeing with it. You're just saying that happened in the past. Yeah. So why can you say this person said this without it? Oh. Why it's didn't not you, like you're saying it. Why didn't you say that? Now we move And on we're back. To the next. Now we move on <clears throat> to the next track, and that's track three. Whatever happened by, by the stroke. stroke. <laughs> so, all right, give us an overview. This is the opening track from their second album, Room on Fire, which was released in 2003. And how is this used in the film? The song plays while Marie Antoinette fantasizes about her Swedish lover in battle, and then <clears> she, <throat> and then she rushes off and runs oh, to her room. God. She, she runs to her room. To do what? <laughs> Man, where'd you put that? I didn't put that. You wrote that. It's just not. So she can rub one out? Yeah. It's, it's perfectly normal. <laughs> yeah, it is. Hopefully there's no one listening to this who needs to be reminded. <laughs> Um, okay, I feel like the use of the song, because we were just watched the movie a couple of days ago, um, is really good because it shows her, <clears throat> like, alone with her thoughts, um, which is really rare, like, in, you know, I'm sure with, like, the court and the palace and stuff. For yeah. Someone. Like, you're always surrounded by handmaidens and dressers. Right. and it's like being a celebrity. Um... <clears throat> Yeah, like, and then, yeah, that's it. It's private time. <clears throat> Memes. <laughs> All right, what about production for this stroke <sighs> song? Well, all right. It has the complexity on par with a typical song. With near average scores and melodic complex. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, this is true. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> it is. It's actually true. What song? Okay, the song is has I know. a complexity on par with a typical song. I guess that just means like a typical pop song, right? Yeah. Okay. But melodic... Okay, no shade. It's a good song. I like it. But it's saying it's average scores in melodic complexity. It's saying it's just average. Oh. It says it's a typical song with near average scores in things like melodic complexity, chord melody. He's saying they're just saying it's like blah. It's it's Blase. not bad, but it's nothing special. Yeah. That's Yeah. That's kind of how <clears> I feel. Do you agree about that? Like a a, few, a like quite a bit of a songs on this album. Wait, on Marie Antoinette or on this yeah. Strokes album? Marie Antoinette. Mm. But, I mean, I still mm. enjoy them. But it's not like my Desert Island disc. Yeah, um, yeah it's a nice angsty rock song. You would know. Enough said. I'm one of the least angsty people you'll ever meet. <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, what about the song meaning? Come on. What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> Whatever, I don't care. All right, well... No. <laughs> okay. Some say... <laughs> Who's some? <laughs> Who? 
Okay. Like your your mysterious people. Who do they say? No, like your mom, your brother. Oh, okay. And you know, one of your old neighbors. Mm. Um, they've been saying that the song. The song's meaning comes from Julian Casablanca's. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Uh, his perspective breaking the fourth wall in regards to fame and his expectations for this second album. <clears throat> so it's a pretty typical. I think, yeah, we talked about that in 10,000 Hertz Legend. It's just yes. that struggle with the change or adapting to that change of becoming. Famous or toying musician. Yeah. Because no matter how original you are, like everybody sort of ends in a place where if they sign with a label and get famous, that they have similar expectations, like become yeah. more commercial, get more audience. I mean, I made an album like that. <clears throat> you did. You. I, you still suffer with that. <laughs> um, those requests to take you mainstream. Yeah. Um, I think it's a song about the difficulty of letting go of relationship and kind of being stuck between the past and the future. Um, like, it's just hard to let go. Yeah. And leave the past behind. <laughs> what about live performances? Um, uh, they performed this on Conan in 2003, the Conan O'Brien show. Yeah. I saw them at Coachella. Did you? Yeah. How was it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say? Was it some <clears throat> alien language? Um... What about remixes? What about them? You tell me. So there's one that I like um, that's Amanda Lindbergh. That's Amanda and then last name, I guess, Lindbergh. L-I-N-D-B-E-R-G. But it's just all run together on SoundCloud. Um, Yeah. She has a nice... She has a nice (laughs) one. She has a nice acoustic. Uh, she has a nice acoustic um, version of the song. We listened to it, remember? Yeah, I liked it. <clears throat> yeah. And now you can too. That was nice, huh? Yeah. Um, let's talk about track four now. What is it? Track four is pulling our weight. By the radio department. Now, I never heard of the radio department before this album, so not only did they put them on my map, they put them on everyone else's too. <laughs> I heard of them. Oh, you, you did? Yeah. How'd you hear of them? I don't know. I think I downloaded some... I did some, like, illegal download remixes back in the day, and they were in there. Oh. Was it, like, a MySpace situation? <clears throat> no, it was, like, Pirate Bay. <clears throat> yeah. And so prior to this album, the, the soundtrack, they released the song as a single of their own in 2003. And the band's from Sweden. Huzzah. <laughs> um, so we've had <clears throat> two English bands, one American, Swedish. Uh, so these come from a four-song EP that um, has the same name as this song. Um, the EP's Pulling Our Weight. Um, and... <clears throat> I listened to it at the mm-hmm. gym the other day. Um, and it's like a good thing to open, like, you know, to kind of open the EP. Um, but it's actually like kind of the blandest of the four songs. Yeah. It's good background. 
Which it kind of was for the film. Yeah. I think, I don't know... Great segue into how is it used in the film. Well, in the film, it's used when she's handing out meats at a, a hunting party. And, you know, it's a nice sunny day. Dogs are running in the field. And so it's just kind of like a Kodak moment in that era. Um, so, yeah. It kind of reminded me so it's, of... Lana Del Rey's um, National Anthem video. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can see it being used in some commercial, like, ride your bike down the street, (laughs) whatever. But, yeah, it makes me think, I don't know if I would have cared about these songs as much if I've heard them outside of the film. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... It, but I feel like that happens <clears throat> with a lot of videos. Yeah, I mean, or yeah, it, it definitely. Once you put a visual to it, if it's really compelling, then... You had that association. Yeah. And that's why you like the music now. I can't wait till you put your next video out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. What's the name of that software? Let's just give it a shout out. <laughs> this is not a paid ad. What is it called? <laughs> Runway Gen 2. Runway Gen 2. Um, it's like a video AI thing. It's, um, and you get to do quite a few, like 10 or something for free before they try to charge you. Yeah, it's, it's a, a lot, lot of fun. fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was weird. All right. Uh, what about production? Don't really have a lot to say. I mean, it's just a nice indie shoegaze dream pop sound, you know? Yep. Just very... It's very sunny. It's very... (laughs) (coughs) Jeans. I (laughs) I wish this was a video podcast because that dance you just did in your chair. It's very youthful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The way the singer sings is like, hey, Johnny. It's like me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so. (laughs) So it kind of sounds sleepy in a way. So I guess that makes it, gives it like a dreamy quality. (laughs) Yeah, check them out. Sine wave with two V's. You can't tell him. S-I-N-E-V-V-A-V-E. What emotion he's feeling. Um, So I thought. I felt like even though they're like a 90s indie band, um, their style actually fits really well with the song, like the new wave songs on the soundtrack. Yeah. Definitely. Like it doesn't feel out of place. No. That's probably more Sofia Coppola's kind of genius than Yeah, I mean, yeah, they do else. sound... I think it's the drums. It kind of sounds 80s. Yeah. Um, what about the meaning of pulling our weight? What's, how does the chorus go? And even in time, we'll give in to crime. We'll be on the line, pulling our weight. Don't know what it means. <laughs> How do you interpret it? It sounds like a riddle. <laughs> no, it's not. It's just... Uh, okay. There's a really good remix. Um... But I couldn't find it. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, out, it's out there. It's out there. Um, and they what, did this live at the Pitchfork Music Festival. Wait, what do you mean? Where's this remix? You heard it somewhere a long time ago? <clears throat> yeah. When? I don't know. I, mean, I used to the, like the radio department, I used to listen to them. What was the remix? I don't. It was a remix that I heard or downloaded or something, but I couldn't find any. What was, was so good about it? Do you remember? Yeah, it was. Um, it was just very new wavy. Hmm. Interesting. Like it had the like that kind of I forget what the synthesizer is that's used in all those the Roland. Oh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it had that kind of vibe to it, but I couldn't find it. That's cool. All right, they were at the Pitchfork Music Festival in 2011. And what did you say? 
and they just stand around and oh yeah apparently they hate to perform live but I guess they are contractually obligated to every once in a while and they'll if like the minimum that you can book at like a festival is an hour they'll only play like 30 minutes of music and then the contract apparently said that you have to be on stage for an hour Hmm. So they would just finish their song and then just stand there. Interesting. And I guess they couldn't get in trouble for it. Nice. Loopholes and technicalities. Yes. Uh, and that actually was it. So if you look them up at the Pitchfork, <clears throat> Pitchfork Music Festival, you'll see them standing on stage. Apparently they don't interact with fans. They just... <laughs> you said they work at a morgue? Yeah. They both work in some kind of, like, thing like that. Huh. They decided to keep their day jobs, or probably night jobs, um, because they, they didn't want to deal with the music label, even though they got offered a lot of money to, to sign. Interesting. Is that it? That's it. Oh, my God. We have completed the first level... Of the Marie Antoinette journey. It's gonna. There's levels of bezels. Yes. Is it gonna get better? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> if you like this, you'll love our next episode where we talk about songs. Five, six, seven, eight. Five, six, seven, eight. Um, what is it? Ceremony by New Order? Yeah. Gang of Four? I believe so. I Want Candy. And? Adamant? (sighs) Sure. (laughs) All right, thanks for being with us. Um, on this new adventure for us doing a soundtrack. I hope we do more because I actually really like the, the combination of music and film. Oh, more soundtracks? Yeah. Yeah, I like to too. All right. Bye. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Bye.